So as I shared earlier in a worship gathering, as we're here together, um, my heart is just so heavy. I, I can't hardly even watch the news where there's just this reality of just the pain that has torn apart our country where in, in the wake of, of George Floyd's just tragic death and there is just so much hatred and you see racism and you see tension and looting and rioting. And it's just, the scenes are just horrific. I've had a hard time being able to even watch the news without being brought to tears. And it, I'm sure you can relate if you've been intaking too much media this week that man, it's been hard and painful and just seeing the evil that is just rampaging across our world. Um, it seems like we're seeing the worst that humanity has to offer here right now in this season. And, and it's hard because we're just now coming to the close of this COVID-19 quarantine. And so it's like right when the pandemic, it's still going, but we're beginning to gather again. And next week we'll have the joy of gathering together in person. And, and yet we still have to be distant when we're together and six feet apart. And so all of this just upheaval and uneasiness and anxiety that we're seeing across our land. And so it was good together today um, to just seek God's face and ask for his healing in our land and acknowledge that God hates racism and that there should be no part of it for a believer because God's plan is to save people from all nations. And maybe today with your heart being heavy, um, I don't know, like, I mean, for me, I'm asking myself like, man, how do, you, how do you see God's purpose in all of this devastation? And, and maybe you can relate to saying, God, I wanna see your hand. I wanna see that you have a purpose and a plan and that your will will be done even in the middle of seeing our cities burning today. So if your heart is heavy, I believe that what we need most, all of us, whatever we're going through, whether it's you're burdened over what's happening in our country or whether something else that's more personal, whatever it is that we're going through, wherever your heart is today, I believe that what we need is a fresh encounter with God. We need to come face to face with our eyes of faith and just see the risen one and to hear his word today, our souls are just craving and are desperate for a word from the Lord. And that is why we gather. We gather whether there's good news or bad news because our God has all the answers and all the hope and all the purpose. And so today we're going to hear from the Lord wherever you find yourself today in this season. We're going to continue in our series in our study in biblical theology. We're going to be identifying the primary themes that begin in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And these themes that are woven throughout the entire Old Testament that are pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, that are fulfilled and accomplished in the person the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And that those same themes that are then will culminate in eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. And so these beautiful 
Biblical themes serve as threads that all come together and threads of many different diverse colors, but that create one stunning tapestry. And that's what we're looking at today of how God has woven these different themes into the fabric of the story that God is telling. And and the Bible, we saw this last week, is truly God's literary genius where God is creating this masterpiece that's interwoven and all of it is about Jesus and points to his redemption for the praise of his name. And so practically what we're learning as a church is how the Bible fits together, how it hangs together and how the Old and New Testament, all of it is about Jesus and all of the stories in the Old Testament have a purpose in the unfolding story that God is telling. And so we're talking about redemption through Jesus. That is the overall plot line of the Bible. And the Bible, again, from last week, it is God revealing himself to people. And so we're doing this series in this way because the prayer is that you would have a hunger for God's word, that, that you would want to just feed your soul from the Bible and, and like not get enough of this, but just want more of it. Because the more that we are in awe of God and of his word, the more that we're going to know him better and walk in obedience to his will. So I'm praying for hunger, that you will hunger for God and his word. Today's sermon title is God's story. It's designed with purpose. The part of God's unfolding story is that he is the grand designer and he is designing everything in the universe with a particular and specific purpose. And so today we're looking at the biblical thread of creation. And so like we talked about this last week, Genesis 1 and 2 describes creation. Genesis 3 describes fall. And then chapter 3, all the way through Revelation 20, describes redemption. The very end, Revelation 21 and 22, describe consummation or the completion of God's purpose. So we're starting today at the very beginning of God's story in Genesis 1 and 2 by looking at creation. We'll look at fall next week in Genesis chapter 2. Three. And so today, as we dive into this biblical thread of, of creation, I just want to give you three truths, three simple but profound truths about the God who is the creator. And so truth number one about creation is we have the God who creates. And so everything about creation, number one, is that it is God who creates. So let's look at the God who is the Creator. So Genesis chapter 1. What you see in this chapter as the Bible opens, it's a panoramic view of creation. So a panoramic, if you have a cell phone, then what you can do is you can put it on panoramic mode and then you, you can start on this side and hit record and then you slowly will pan all the way across the landscape and then it threads it together and it has just one picture that's a panoramic, so a panorama. And so what, what you see with Genesis 1 is kind of like the, the, the panoramic or if you will like the book 
blimp view, from the aerial view of looking down and seeing the entire landscape of creation. That's Genesis 1. And it shows how God created everything that exists in the universe. So let's start there with Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Will you pray with me? Father, as we approach your word here today, as we see that you are the creator, you are the sustainer, and everything that exists has come from you and for you, we ask that your spirit, that was hovering over the waters there in creation when you spoke and you said, let there be light. We pray right here in this moment that you would shine your light into our hearts, that your spirit would be heavy on us and that we would hear your word, that we would receive your word and that we would be hungry for you, that we would see your Bible as this beautiful interwoven masterpiece and desire more of you and to know you better. So I just pray for your blessing, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, we would receive what you have to say to us today. Change us for your glory. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. What you're seeing in Genesis 1 is God is showing how he created the entire universe in six days. Now, the first three days, so day one, we see here, we just read he created light. In day two, it says that he created sky and water and he separated them. He created the atmosphere and the sky and he created water. And then in day three, he creates land. So he creates mountains and all that you see on dry land on day three, along with the seas. He gathers the waters and he creates the oceans and the seas. And so the first three days, he is creating the shape of the universe. Then in the next three days, days four, five, and six, he is then populating or he is filling the earth that he has created. So in day four, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. So he had already created the expanse and then he puts these lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon to govern the night, and he puts the stars in the universe and he knew the exact perspective we would have when we saw them that we would use for things like navigation and knowing the seasons and being able to tell time with the sun and so all of this god had planned it so he makes the sun and the moon on day four and the stars day five he fills the earth with fish and with birds so the skies and the waters he fills them and then day six he fills the land with all the land animals and he makes humanity the crown jewel of his creation creating and then filling the earth now genesis chapter 2 Let's read the first few verses in that, Genesis 2, 1, 2, and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, 
God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So Genesis chapter 2 begins at the first few verses with completing what began in chapter one on again, this panoramic view of creation and the seventh day God rests. Then chapter two, you see more of the, the grounds view. And so, so chapter two is the detailed view of creation. It's not the panoramic, it's the zooming in. So it's not the helicopter where you can see the forest. It's landing, walking into the forest and getting right up next to the trees and looking at the leaves in close detail. So it's the exact same forest, but one is the aerial view and the other one is a close up view with more detail. And that's Genesis chapter two where we see God creating humanity and interacting with, with people and our purpose is defined more clearly. So let's read a little bit in chapter two to kind of get a flavor for this. And we'll do chapter two, verses five through 10. When no bush or field was yet in the land and no small plants of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. Let's jump down to verse 15, still in chapter two. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the Bible here, God is revealing who he is and what he is doing and why he's doing it. So you see the explanation of how the universe came into existence. We're seeing that God made it. It was God's idea. Now I understand in the 21st century, that saying that God spoke and made the world and formed Adam out of dust and breathed life into him and how the Bible is defining our origin, that this flies in the face of modern day, just dominant science that defines that our world came into existence with this highly condensed mass about 15 billion years ago that had a sudden explosion or a big bang that set into motion what we now know as the universe over billions of years of evolution. So this atheistic Darwin mindset, this world's view that is so common today is not biblical. 
because the Bible is so clear on how we came into existence. And if you would ask a physicist and say, well, okay, if, if the world existed through this Big Bang, well, where did the highly condensed matter that exploded, where did that original matter come from? Well, they don't really have an answer. And so it's fascinating to me how PhDs, very intelligent people, when, when they don't know the answer, they do what most of us would do. We make stuff up. They just make it up and they say, oh, well, there's a singularity. And as a using big, impressive words somehow helps explain what they can't explain. They say, well, you see, there's a singularity, which is a one-time occurrence where the laws of physics are suspended. And it's, it's a one-time occurrence. And so there was a singularity which allowed this, this mass to exist and then to have a big bang. And then that has evolved into what we have today. And if you say, well, hold on a second. You're telling me that there was a one-time occurrence that is outside of the laws of physics and you weren't there and you can't know for certain and this is your theory. It sounds a lot like faith to me. Like that sounds to me like you're putting faith in something that you don't know, that you can't see, that you can't examine in the lab. And I think we need to just be intellectually honest and, and say that the Darwin worldview is a religion that requires faith. It requires believing that there is no God and believing in the singularity that led to the Big Bang. And yet what's so fascinating to me is you'll read books by these same atheists who claim to have no faith, and yet they'll write about things that are so intricate. So for example, the exact distance between particles at the subatomic level that have to be in perfect balance because of all the various forces that are at play. And if there's even a slight degree change, then, then it, it, it won't work. It won't hold together. And, and how you have scientists that are absolutely amazed when they study subatomic particles. Or, or you, you'll read books about, again, atheist scientists that, are, that marvel at the human eye and how complex it is. And what's so amazing to me is when you read some of these things, it almost seems like they're worshiping. They're in awe of what they're discovering in the created universe. And yet they refuse to acknowledge that there's a creator and that there's a designer and that there is purpose. So I think it takes a lot of faith, even for the most indignant scientist to examine the universe and see how intricate it is. And then to say, oh, it's just physics. Stop admiring it. There's no design in it. It's just molecules bumping into molecules. No, it's not. And in the heart of man, we know that it's not. And the more that we discover about how God created the world, the more that we see that there is incredible design and that God's glory is being revealed in how he has created the world. God is the creator and he is creating to show his greatness. And so we first see here in Genesis 1 and 2, 
that there is the God who creates. Number two, second truth. We see the God who creates with purpose. God created out of nothing. In the, in the original ex nihilo, out of nothing, he is creating. But the question is why? Why did God create in the first place? I mean, there must be a reason why God would choose to create. Well, there is a reason. He did create for a purpose. And so let's talk for a minute about the purpose of God. Well, God's purpose is his glory. Everything that God does has exactly one purpose, which is to display, to show his infinite perfections. And so God's purpose in creation is to display how great and how amazing and how glorious and wise and creative and powerful he is. It is a display of his majesty. And at its essence, what happens to us is when we see it, we're spurred, we're propelled to be in awe and to worship. And so we exist to see the glory of God and to respond with hearts that treasure his glory. And that's what worship is. Worship at its essence is treasuring the glory of God, valuing his presence, desiring God. And so from this account that we just read, what is creation revealing about God that would lead us to be in awe of him? Well, let me give you three words on what creation reveals about God. One, it reveals the goodness of God. In Genesis 1, 3, and 4, 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, verse 31, over and over and over, God is creating. And at every point in creation, it says, and God saw, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. This refrain repeatedly. And then in verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he created and behold, it was very good. And so creation reveals that God is good and what he does is good. He loves his creation and he is moved to bless his creation. So we see the goodness of God. Number two, we see the beauty of God. Creation is a masterpiece and God is creative and it is stunningly beautiful when you see mountains or canyons or oceans or wildlife or gardens. We see how beautiful creation is because God is beautiful. When you look at people, people in all shapes and colors of all ages, of all backgrounds, people are beautiful because God has made us in his image to be beautiful. So we see the goodness of God. We see the beauty of God. We see truth. Creation is crying out that the creator is true, that he's real and that he is the truth. And so how does creation reveal God's truth? Oh man, his character is revealed. Creation shows that he is eternal. Before anything existed, God was there. Creation shows that God is powerful and that he is creative and that he is wise. I mean, think about things like chemistry and physics and different languages and everything about the world and how it all works together and who we are as people. It was God's idea. God thought of calculus and trigonometry and geometry. God thought of these things. It was his idea. He's wise and he built the world with these realities in it. 
So it shows that he is creative and wise, but also shows that he is sovereign. He is the king. He is the authority. And so he told Adam and Eve how to live and said, you will obey me and you will not eat of this fruit. He was in charge. He's the sovereign. And so we see the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of God. And our hearts crave it because creation is good because God is good. And creation is beautiful because God is beautiful. And creation is true because God is truth. And so creation is displaying the glory of God. But what does it say about us? What does creation say about human beings? Well, I want to read to you a few verses that we skipped over in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It says that God made us in his image. The image of God is not something that humans have or that humans do. Hear me, this is important. The image of God is not something that we have or what we do. The image of God is what human beings are. It's what we are. It defines us. They give the five key words. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Five key words about the image of God to help you understand what this means for you and for me. It means the first one is that we relate. So the first key word is relate. Humans are relational. At our essence, that's what we are. God has designed us in his image to enjoy relationship with him and with each other. So God blessed Adam and Eve and God spoke to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve could speak. The only creature that can speak are humans. And so speaking is a part of being made in God's image, ability to communicate with others and with God, the ability to love and to feel deeply, to feel affections for others and for God is part of being made in God's image because God does those things. God loves and God speaks and God relates. And so we relate. Second key word is reason. We can reason, we can think and have complex thoughts. Animals can't, trees can't, mountains can't. They're beautiful. And there are animals that are alive, but they can't reason the way a human being can. They can't enjoy art or language. They can't build a car and drive in it. They can't. They're animals. They can't reason the way humans can. They don't know right from wrong. Humans do. Part of many God's images that God thinks. And so we can think. We can reason. We're made to think as image bearers of God. And we need to learn to think. And so we relate, we reason. Number three, we rule. 
part of God's image is that we rule. We just read that we were made to have dominion. And it says to subdue the earth. These are words describing a king having a kingdom who has a, dom- a domain and who is subduing. And so uh, application-wise, what this means is that we're called to develop the social world. Sometimes this is called the cultural mandate. It means that God has given us the ability to create culture, to to take from the raw materials that God has made and for us to create, to use our skills and our abilities to do what? Well, things like farming, construction, fixing cars, developing software, making music, teaching history, teaching math or science or language. It's all about what God wants us to do because we reflect his image and we're discovering what he has built into this world. It's a part of his image bearers is to rule, to harness the raw materials and to develop society and to expand and to have discoveries. And so we're made to relate, to reason, to rule. Number four, we're made to rest. Men in God's image means that we rest Day seven, God rested. Was God tired? No, he wasn't tired. God is always at work, but he's always rested. He's always at rest and at peace. And he rested on the seventh day to give us the pattern. We need rest. We need to depend on God. And so humans from creation are dependent upon God. Adam and Eve were dependent on God before the fall. Because to be human is to depend on God, to need to rest our souls in Him. And so the image of God in us means that we rest in Him. And the fifth key word here is we reflect. As an image bearer of God, we reflect His glory. That is our purpose at its essence. What we are as image bearers is we reflect the character of God. Adam was the head of humanity who was tacked to lead all of humanity to cover the face of the earth and to have worshipers that would be from all nations who would follow the head Adam and would worship God. This was God's purpose to have a world covered with image bearers, reflectors of the glory of God. He says, fill the earth and multiply. Multiply what? Multiply worshipers across, across a whole planet that display God's glory. So this is what it means to be made in God's image. And so what is the purpose of God? God's purpose is to display his glory. What is our purpose? To reflect his glory as image bearers. This is why we exist. He's a God who creates with purpose. We'll look at this next week, but in chapter three of Genesis, there's the fall. Adam failed. He did not lead humanity to worship God. He gave in to the serpent. And because of that, because Adam didn't want God's love or God's presence or God's purpose, Adam wanted to be God himself. Because of his rebellion, trying to find his purpose in his own way and find joy elsewhere outside of God, because of his great evil, it has led to disaster and a corruption of our image of God, corruption of our purpose of displaying his glory, corruption, being able to relate to God, to know him and to enjoy him. The world is now broken. This is what you see. 
where we don't reflect God's glory anymore. We distort it. There's decay and there's death and there's disease and there's pain in this world. So we have a God who is creating with purpose, but that purpose has been frustrated from our end, but God's purposes cannot be frustrated. It may seem like it, but God has a plan and nothing can stop, nothing can thwart the purposes of God, which is the third point in creation, the God who recreates. See, Genesis 3, there's fall. But everything from Genesis 3 to Revelation is about God restoring creation to its original purpose through the Messiah. So the whole Old Testament points to this Messiah who will recreate his world and his people. So following the storyline, you get to chapter 4 of Genesis and you see great evil. It's like creation is unraveling and Cain kills his brother Abel and things get Worse, in chapter 6, the whole world is covered by people now, which was God's purpose. But instead of reflecting His glory, they're reflecting pain and corruption and death and evil. And so God's glory is not being displayed. It's being distorted. And humans are killing each other, just like we're seeing today in our country. It's so painful. So what did God do? We see that he raises up a man named Noah and Noah is presented as a new Adam in Genesis chapter nine, verses one, two, and three. It says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is exactly what he told Adam. After the flood, which is a recreation where God destroys and this decreation with the flood, God then recreates the world, cleansed and made new with this new Adam, Noah. And he tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply. And he tells him to have dominion over the earth, just like he had told Adam to do. But the problem is that Noah it was sinful and his children begin to sin and all of a sudden the world gets covered with sin and brokenness all over again. So what does God do? He creates a new man. He creates Abraham. His first name was Abram. Abraham is the same basic name, but the, the, the word for spirit is ruach in Hebrew, and it's the sound of breath or of air flowing through your mouth. And so the name Abram and Abraham, Abraham, the difference is your breath. And so he was transformed. Abraham was transformed by the spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit, the breath of God that transformed Abram from being a pagan to Abraham, who is a worshiper and who trusts God. And God promises Abraham that all of his descendants will be so many, you can't even number them. And one of them will be the Messiah who will come and recreate humanity because even though God did recreate Abraham, Abraham still sinned and died, but he pointed to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, who would not die and would not 
fail and we have a world that is in chaos and in, in turmoil. And yet we have a God who is at work through Jesus, who is recreating a people. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it with the Israelites when they get to the foot of Mount Sinai and God makes them. He creates them as his people when they receive his word at, at the mountain. Well, Jesus is the word of God who is recreating a people and is restoring us to his original Purpose. If you want to see this in the Old Testament, study Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. The last third of Isaiah is all about God's restoration of the new earth through the Messiah. And I'll read to you an excerpt from chapter 11 of Isaiah that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the nursing child shall play with the whole of a cobra and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. You hear that? This is the new earth. It says, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea a recreated earth where there is no violence and no death and a recreated people. So you will see one day a resurrected earth, a new earth with the resurrected people, a new people with the resurrected Messiah who will rule over them forever. Jesus is the new Adam who succeeded with the first Adam failed. Jesus is the true image of God who reflects God perfectly and restores us to the image of God. Jesus is the head of a new humanity and he is recreating us to share in his divine nature, a new nature where we have the Holy Spirit and we can now walk in the newness of life. All those who have faith in Jesus are made new. We are recreated. And so salvation at its essence is a recreation. It is a restoring what went wrong in the Garden of Eden through Jesus. A restored people with the restored purpose. In Romans 8, 18, the 23 describes how all of creation is groaning and is in pain and waits to be set free from bondage. And we ourselves groan in pain of this broken world. But we're waiting for our redemption that will come when Christ returns, when we're going to be resurrected. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's all about creation. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all about a God who is creating for the display of his glory. And so there is creation. And yes, there is a fall, but there is redemption. And then there is new creation. And that's what we have. That's who we are. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To taste right now this new creation. As we await our resurrection to live with him forever on the new earth. So as we wrap up finding your place in this story of creation that God is telling. Let me give you three thoughts as we wrap up. Your life has a purpose. This is the first thing you need to know. Your life has a purpose. Now, we all have the same purpose of displaying his glory. But within that reality that all of us have, you have a particular way, a unique way that you live out your purpose 
for God's glory in your life. For me, it's being a husband to Bonnie and four amazing children, two biological, two adopted. I had the privilege of, of planting and leading a church and this is the way that God has given me the joy of living out my purpose. But what about you? What is your purpose? You need to know it. You need to seek God and live your life every single day with intentionality and living out your unique purpose as an image bearer of God. Don't waste a day. Second, your life has accountability. God created you. He owns you. You reflect his image. You basically are like his stamp. His seal is on you. Your, his image is imprinted on you. So you belong to him. He owns you by creation and by redemption through Jesus. And so you're not your own. You can't dictate your purpose or live your own way according to your own agendas. You exist for the glory of God. And so you are accountable to God. You are responsible to God for how you use your time, your body, your resources, your talents. Everything about you that you have has been given to you as a gift from God. Life is a gift that we have to steward on behalf of God. We are accountable to live for something bigger than ourselves, the glory and the kingdom of God. And so lastly, as you wrap up, your life has eternal value. Because you're made in God's image, because of creation, you have eternal value. God gave you being, your life matters. Don't believe the lies of the enemy and of this world. You matter. Don't focus on what you're lacking. Don't focus on your mess ups. Focus on who you are in Christ. Focus on who Jesus says you are, how nothing can separate you from the love of God and how there is now therefore no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. God is telling a magnificent story about creation and re-creation. And this gives you eternal value. Will you enjoy God and worship Him and walk in this truth?